going to work on perseverance today. And the first thing I want you to know about perseverance as Christians of a Lutheran persuasion is that you are good. You are good at perseverance. Our congregation is not a congregation that popped up over the last 15 years. Your pastor doesn't wear skinny jeans and thank God for that. (laughs) These windows came over from one of the last ships across the Atlantic before World War I. The total cost of all these windows was about five grand in 1918. We're not a church that just goes back a little ways that said, let's buy a little piece of property and hope for the best. We're a church that has persevered through enormous pieces of history. 1882, that's only 15 years or so after the Civil War. 1929 to 1941, the Great Depression. Our church had roots to, to, to handle that. 1941 to 1945-46, not only did St. John's be okay through World War II, but St. John's crushed it during World War II. And as the young men were bivouacked in Walker Hall, they met the, the girls who were coming around to check them out and... And the men came back from the war and they settled here in Orange County. And they came to St. John's. We handled all the nuttiness of the 60s. We handled the age of Aquarius in the 70s. In the 90s, we handled the uh, Orange County going broke. We handled 9-11. A night I'll never forget with people sitting all throughout here and standing packed in. We've been through a lot. Life and death. You are good. You are good at persevering. You are not average. You are good at persevering. And as Lutheran Christians, many of our families who came across in the great German migration, we, we, we came across not as entrepreneurs and wealthy people. People in Germany cobbled together little amounts of money and said, you go, we'll stay. We're good at perseverance. And it may be that our light needs to shine at a dark time. And our perseverance be that which leads a community and a culture to Jesus, the light of the world. This morning, we're going to frame our thoughts about Romans chapter 5. And I'd ask you if we could just read these two verses together to kind of get rolling this morning. Please join me. Let's read together. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. It's in the hope of the glory of God. 
Paul is getting ready to plant a church in Rome. He's getting ready to set up a, a, a whole piece of, of Christianity going into Europe. And so he spends the first four chapters of, of, Rome, of Romans laying out the theology and all the pieces of the teaching that are essential for Christians to know and hold, hold on to. And then he uses that marvelous word, therefore. And every time you see the word, therefore, in the scripture, it means that what's coming forward has been built on everything that's in the past. The foundation has been built in Romans 1, 2, 3, and 4. Who Jesus is, what Jesus did, what Jesus is all about. The focus on justification and grace and forgiveness. All of those things, the cross and the resurrection. And then Paul turns in Romans chapter 5 verse 1 and he says therefore meaning that the 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 next chapters in the next section are built beautifully upon the theology of the cross on the grace and peace that comes from Jesus who has justified his people Paul takes that theme he loves that theme in the book of Romans the word for that is dikaiosine the righteousness of God justification Meaning, it's just as if I hadn't sinned, is how God looks at me. God looks at me and you through the prism, through the eye, through the lens of Jesus. And he doesn't say you will be justified or you may be justified. He says, having been justified, you are justified for the sake of Jesus. The first four chapters of Romans set that all up beautifully so that when they go to plant their church in Rome, they don't have to have a web page or anything. They just start preaching Christ because the power of Christ and the power of the gospel inspires and motivates hearts and lives. Therefore, having been justified, we have peace with God. Breathe that in and breathe that out. You have peace with God. God's not angry with you. God's not uptight about your life. God is not losing sleep because of the sins that we have and the pressure that we feel. Rather, God is actively working to bring his peace to bear on our hearts. Again, he doesn't say you may have peace. He doesn't say peace is this fleeting feeling. And if you win on the lottery, you'll have more peace. And if you lose here, you'll have less peace. He's saying you have peace with God. It's not a feeling or a buzz or something we've manufactured. Rather, peace with God is anchoring us to the cross of Christ. You have peace with God. God loves you for Jesus' sake. He's not putting impediments for you to know him or follow him. Rather, he's taking down those barriers and by his love delivers that peace to our hearts. All of that through the instrumentality of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the instrument, through Jesus Christ. The gospel message, right? The, the, the charismatic gospel that Peter and James and John were preaching through the book of Acts. That simple gospel that Jesus lived and died and rose again so that we could be stand before God justified at peace 
pointing to the cross and saying, I don't have to manufacture this. I don't have to kind of intellectually pass a test to be at peace with God. Rather, Jesus has taken care of that through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then he says we have access into this grace like the portal that opens to a beautiful banquet where the tables are set and the knives and forks are out and the wine's on the table and the bread is never ending and the butter is with copious amounts and it's just... And you have access to everything that is God's through Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord. Which means God does not behold us in judgment or anger, but God beholds us in love and unconditional regard. And the seal and the sign of that is the cross. Anything that would keep God from us or keep us from accessing God is destroyed in the cross. Therefore, having been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and access into this grace in which we now stand. Please read this with me if you would. I looked, I, I, I ran these slides through so I know that you can read in the balcony, I know you can see it, so join me. Let's, let's read here. Sometimes I make the slides, the words are so small, I go read with me. and I can see the balcony go, oh my gosh, pastor, you're crazy. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Not only so do we rejoice in the good things, but we also rejoice in the painful things, the pressures of life, some of which are internal, dealing with the things and resolving the past and trying to figure out how to have emotional, mental, and spiritual equilibrium when we've got all this stuff going on in our hearts and in our minds. And sometimes the anxiety that, that, that keeps us up at night or that manifests itself in physical stuff that goes on in our bodies. Those are the internal pressures of life. But the external ones are the ones to which Paul speaks here. One of the biggest governments in the history of the world was established in Rome. And it wasn't that Jesus Christ was Lord, it was that Caesar is God. And Paul was going into the teeth of the beast. He was going in to, 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 to bring what Rome would consider an idolatrous religion that was gonna fracture the empire. And he was one guy on one ship with a bad back. Paul was going to find out what external pressure was all about. And I think we know what external pressure is all about. What do you believe about our culture? My sense is that we live in kind of a dark culture. I can tell you right now that the external forces of the culture on the church of Jesus Christ are different and more intense than they have ever been in my 30 years of being a pastor. The onerous things that we have to do 
because they are because they are put together by the state and inflicted upon the church are not in my opinion for the church's betterment of their ministry but to stifle the ministry of the church and diminish the voice of the church in the culture now what external forces do you have going on in your life because I'll guarantee you that there are those pieces of your life whether it's your finances or the family relationships or maybe something that's going on outside of that and it just feels like you're being pushed and pressed that's the kind of pressure that Paul is speaking of here where like someone has put a rock on your chest and you have the inability to move that rock. And if you've been through that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you're going through that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The external pressure of life is what's going on against me and what's seeking to drive me away from Jesus. And Paul says we glory in that. Maybe that's because light shines brighter when it's darker. But he also leads us then to endurance or perseverance. He speaks of suffering and the outside and, and, and the pressure and, and all of the things going on. And he speaks both from his personal experience as well as what he is about to experience as he moves into Europe. He speaks of enduring and perseverance as holding steady in the storm. As if when it feels like we have no energy to hang in there, that somehow there's this supernatural energy that we have through the grace and the peace of God that provides us the ability to endure and persevere, to hold steady. When everything around us says, you probably can't hold steady, to look back at the Lord Jesus and say, I'm holding steady. My feet are on the rock of His grace and the peace that I have in my heart keeps me from being destroyed. That's the endurance. That's the perseverance. And we're good at that. We've been through that. The church of Jesus Christ has been through that since before this. The time of Jeremiah, the time of Baruch, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All the people for all time. When we get to heaven, we may talk about our victories. But I will guarantee you. When we get to heaven, what we'll be talking about is having overcome the suffering and the pain and the pressure of the world through confidence and faith in the promise of the Messiah. And so suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces tested character. I know that we're in football season. And I've chosen football illustrations very carefully. <laughs> if a team is not tested during the regular season, they stink in the playoffs. If a team does not find the resiliency during the season to come back when they're down, to put away pain when it's difficult, to come together as a team when everything is splitting apart, then when they get to the, to the money, to the playoffs, they stink. My Packers have been to the playoffs two years in a row. They made it to the championship game, and they've lost both because when their character was put to the test, it was found to be wanting. 
Suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces a tested character so that when you and me feel the external and the internal pressures of the world and what's going on, our, our character is tested and we're able to stand. We're able to weather it. We're able to be strong. Why? Because over the course of a lifetime of walking with Jesus, we've been able time and time and time again to be made strong and to stand firm with Jesus by our side, with his grace and with his peace. And what that character produces is hope. Not some mushy hallmark hope of, oh, I just hope that. Resolute, strong hope, hope. Hope that is rooted in Jesus. Hope that is transcendent. Hope that doesn't rise or fall with election cycles, but hope that is rooted and anchored in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That's the hope. The faith that looks into the future and says, I'm going to be strong and I'm going to make it through the pressure I have because I have a hope in someone who's done everything for me and have access to the grace of God through the instrument of Jesus Christ. And in that pressurized world and in that pressurized life, this promise keeps coming back and ringing in my ears, right? How important is it that we know Scripture and hold Scripture in our mind's eye and in our soul? How about this? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 1 John 4, 4. Can you read that with me? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I'm not afraid. And I hope you're not afraid either, because he who is in you through faith in Jesus Christ is greater than he who is in the world. And your hope and your character, when tested and refined, is made better and stronger because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And this promise as well from Matthew 24. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will go, grow cold, Jesus said. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. The goal of the Christian life is not our own equilibrium. The goal of the Christian life is, is not somehow having a nest egg set aside and saying, well, okay, I'm good. The goal of the Christian life is standing firm until the end. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I also believe in the converse of that. The one who does not stand firm to the end will not be saved. And more and more in my life, in my devotional life, I'm less about patting people on the back and saying it's going to be okay. There's a minimum bar for heaven and you're going to get there. And I'm more about standing firm until the end and encouraging people to be strong and persevering in faith and in life. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. This week we... Yesterday, we had a funeral for Ken Schluter. 
very, very fine man. He was diagnosed three years ago with pulmonary fibrosis. And if you're familiar with that disease, it, it, it puts fibers, fibers in your lungs and slowly and surely you kind of suffocate to death. And finally, he took his last breath on this side of heaven about two weeks ago and took his first breath with Jesus in paradise about two weeks ago as well. But Ken's witness and Ken's legacy is a powerful witness and a powerful legacy. We shot a video of Ken and Mary Kay about a year ago, and uh, it was a seven-minute video, and you can look at it on our website, but I wanted to just show you what standing firm to the end looks like, and I'd like to show you just a piece of this video, and then pray for you, please. think legacy is really built upon foundations and those foundations have to have to be strong enough to, to know what they're holding up and I think Christian education has a big part of that there too I'm so thankful that our children and grandchildren have had the opportunity to um, to go to a Christian school to not only have their family values but then they're taught at school as well One thing that we did that I think that has helped uh, us be connected, our family during COVID is every Sunday at 11 o'clock, we Zoomed and we just touched bases with our granddaughter that's up in San Francisco and her husband and with all of our family here. And, and that's important. We still do that. Yeah, yeah, we're still doing it. It's just a connection point. 10 years ago, how did, what would somebody say? Well, what do you mean you Zoom? What's this Zoom business? Um, as families tend to break apart a little bit, you lose that connecting point. That's half the battle is taking a moment to assess. How can we do it a little better? What can we do to change, to, to make a closer connection with our family members? And you, can, you start with the family and you spread out from there. I'm just so thankful for my family, and I think they know that. I think they know that they are loved, and that I am thankful that they, um, that they are walking with Jesus. You have to believe in something. As we train, they need to train, as we were trained, and it goes back and back and back. Things change, we change. Christ does not change. I think the Lord built into the words of wisdom in the scriptures that where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I, there am I in the midst of them. You're taught so you can teach. You're taught so you can share. I think we've got to keep that thing way in the front of us, that we work together to share together. And if we don't share, we've lost out part of who we are and why we are.
the roots in the river of God's grace are deep in our community and in our church. And the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Let's pray. You have to believe something, Lord. We believe in you. We believe that you love us, that you care for us, that our pressures are real to you, that the internal angst that sometimes we feel is alleviated by your grace and your peaceful presence in our hearts. We believe that you work in the macro sense of working all things together for good. And even when we feel and experience that pressure coming from the outside in, we are reminded that greater is he who is in us than the evil one who is in the world. Thank you for the witness of Ken and Mary Kay. Thank you for his kind eyes and his deep voice. I pray that the choir of heaven would have a new singer and, and that it would be our friend, Mr. Schluter. Let the spirit of your grace rest upon us and this congregation as we live such good lives in a pagan culture that even the pagans would have to turn and say, there's something about those crazy Lutherans. And then we can lead them, Lord, to Jesus, the light of the world. These things we pray we gather in the name of Jesus, by whom we have access to you, Father. It's in his name we pray. Amen.